Chapter 14 QoS Chapter Parts Do I know this already quiz? Foundation Topics The need for QoS Lack of bandwidth Latency and jitter Propagation delay Serialization delay Processing delay Delay variation Packet loss QoS models Classification and marking Classification Layer 7 classifications Marking Layer 2 marking Layer 3 marking DSCP per hop behaviors Class selector CSBHP, default forwarding DFBHP, assured forwarding AFBHP, expedited forwarding EFBHP, scavenger class, trust boundary, a practical example, wireless QoS. Policing and shaping. Placing, placing policers and shapers in the network. Markdown. Token bucket algorithms. Types of policers. Single right two color markers policers. Single ray three color markers policers SRTCM two rate three color markers policers T or TCM congestion management and avoidance congestion management congestion avoidance tools exam preparation tasks CCMP and CCIE Enterprise Core Encore. So, Part 4 Services, Chapter 14 QoS. This chapter covers the following topics. The need for QoS. This section describes the leading causes for poor quality of service and how they can be alleviated by using QoS tools and mechanisms. QoS models. This section describes the three different models available for implementing QoS in a network. Best effort, integrated services, int-serve, and differentiated services, div-serve. Classification and marking. This section describes classification, which is used to identify and assign IP traffic into different traffic classes and marking, which is used to mark packets with a specified priority based on classification or traffic conditioning policies. Policing and shaping. This section describes how policing is used to enforce rate limiting where excess IP traffic is either dropped, marked, or delayed. Congestion management and avoidance. This section describes congestion management, which is a queuing mechanism used to prioritize and protect IP traffic. It also describes congestion avoidance which involves discarding IP traffic to avoid network congestion. QoS is a network infrastructure technology that relies on a set of tools and mechanisms to assign different levels of priority to different IP traffic flows and provide special treatment to higher priority IP traffic flows. For higher priority IP traffic flows, it reduces packet loss during times of network congestion and also helps control delay latency and delay variation jitter for low priority IP traffic flows. It provides a best effort delivery service. This is analogous to how a high occupancy vehicle HOV lane, also referred to as a carpool lane works. A special high priority lane is, is reserved for use for carpools, high priority traffic, and those who carpool can flow freely by bypassing the heavy traffic congestion in the adjacent general purpose lanes. 
These are the primary goals of implementing QoS on a network. Expediting delivery for real-time applications. Ensuring business continuance for business critical applications. Providing fairness for non-business critical applications when congestion occurs. Establishing a trust boundary across the network edge or either ex- to either accept or reject traffic markings injected by the endpoints. QoS uses the following tools and mechanisms to achieve its goals. Classification and marking, policing and shaping, congestion management and avoidance. All of these QoS mechanisms are described in this chapter. Foundation Topics The Need for QoS Modern real-time multimedia applications such as IP telephony, telepresence, broadcast video, Cisco WebEx and IP video surveillance are extremely sensitive to delivery delays and create unique quality of service QoS demands on a network. When packets are delivered using a best effort delivery model, they may not arrive in order or in a timely manner and they may be dropped. For video, this can result in pixelation of the image, pausing choppy video and audio and video being out of sync, or no video at all. For audio, it could cause echo, talk or overlap, a walkie-talkie effect where only one person can speak at a time, unintelligible and distorted speech, voice breakups, long silence gaps and call drops. The following are the leading causes of quality issues. Lack of bandwidth, latency and jitter, packet loss, lack of bandwidth, the available bandwidth of the data path from a source to a destination equals the capacity of the lowest bandwidth link. When the maximum capacity of the lowest bandwidth link is surpassed, link congestion takes place resulting in traffic drops. The obvious solution to this type of problem is to increase the link bandwidth capacity, but this is not not always possible due to budgetary or technological constraints. Another option is to implement QoS mechanisms such as policing and queuing to prioritize traffic according to level of importance. Voice, video and business critical traffic should get prioritized, forwarding and sufficient bandwidth to support their application requirements and the least important traffic should be allocated the remaining bandwidth. Latency and jitter. One way end-to-end delay is referred to as network latency is the time it takes for packets to to traverse across a network from a source to a destination. ITU recommendation G.114 recommends that regardless of the application type, a network latency of 400 milliseconds should not be exceeded. And for the real-time traffic, network latency should be less than 150 milliseconds however ITU and Cisco have demonstrated that real-time traffic quality does not begin to significantly degrade until network latency exceeds 200 milliseconds. To be able to implement these recommendations it's important to understand what causes network latency. Network latency can be broken down into fixed and variable latency. Propagation delay fixed, serialization delay fixed, Processing delay fixed delay variation variable. Propagation delay. Propagation delay is the time taken for a packet to travel from the source to the destination at the speed of light over a medium such as fiber optic cables or copper wires. 
the speed of light is 299,792,458 meters per second in a vacuum. The lack of vacuum conditions in a fiber optic cable or a copper wire slows down the speed of light by a ratio known as the refractive index. The larger the refractive index value, the slower the light travels. The average refractive index in an optical fiber is about 1.5. The speed of light through the vacuum is V equal to the speed of light in a vacuum C divided by the refractive index N or V equals C divided by N. This means that the speed of light to a fiber optic cable with a refractive index of 1.5 is approximately 200 million meters per second. And that is 300 million divided by 1.5. If a single fiber optic cable with a refractive index of 1.5 were laid out all around the uh, equatorial circumference of the Earth, which is about 40,000 kilometers, the propagation delay would be equal to the equatorial circumference of Earth divided by 200, 200 million meters per second. This is approximately 200 milliseconds, which would be an acceptable value for real-time traffic. Keep in mind that optical fibers are not always physically placed over the shortest path between two points. Fiber optic cables may be hundreds or even thousands of miles longer than expected. In addition, other components required by fiber optic cables such as repeaters and amplifiers may introduce additional delay. A provider service level agreement SLA can be reviewed to estimate and plan for the minimum, maximum and average latency in a circuit. Note, sometimes it's necessary to use satellite communication for hard to reach locations. The propagation delay for satellite circuits is the time it takes for a radio wave travelling at the speed of light from the Earth's surface to a satellite which could mean multiple satellite hops and back to Earth's surface depending on the number of hops. This may surpass the recommended maximum of 400 milliseconds. For cases like this, the sh there is nothing that can be done to reduce the delay other than trying to find a satellite provider that owes, offers lower propagation delays. Serialization delay. Serialization delay is the time taken to place all the bits in a packet onto a link. This is a fixed value that depends on the link speed. The higher the link speed, the lower the delay. The serialization delay S is equal to the packet size in bits divided by the line speed in bits per second. For example, a serialization delay of a 1500 byte packet over a 1 gig interface is 12 mics, microseconds and can be calculated as follows. S equals packet size in bits, uh, line speed in BPS. S is 1500 bytes times 8 divided by 1 gig. And that S equals 12,000 bits divided by 1,000 million BPS equals that. Okay, right. 12 mics basically by seconds. Processing delay. Processing delay is the fixed amount of time taken for a networking device to take a packet from input interface and place the packet onto the output interface. Um, the processing delays are factors such as CPU speed for software-based applications, CPU utilization load, IP packets switching mode, process switching software set for hardware set, router architecture, centralized or distributed, configured feature on both inputs and output interfaces. 
Delay variation. Delay variation is also referred to as jitter, is the difference in the latency between packets in a single flow. For example, one packet takes 50 milliseconds to traverse a network from the source to destination, and the following packet takes 70 milliseconds. The jitter is 20 milliseconds. The major factors affecting variable delay are queuing delay, de-jitter buffers, and variable packet size. Jitter is experienced due to the queuing delay experienced by packets during period of network congestion. Queuing delay depends on the number and sizes of packets already in the queue, the link speed and the queuing mechanism. Queuing induces unequal delays of packets with the same flow, thus producing jitter. Voice and video endpoints typically come equipped with de-jitter buffers that can help smooth out changes in packet arrival times due to jitter. The de-jitter buffer is often dynamic and can adjust for approximately 30 milliseconds change in arrival time of packets. If the packet is not received within a 30 millisecond window allowed for by the de-jitter buffer, the packet is dropped and affects the overall voice or video quality. To prevent jitter, the high priority real-time traffic is recommended to use a queuing mechanism such as low latency queuing (LLQ) that allow matching packets to be forwarded prior to any other low priority traffic during periods of network congestion. Packet loss. Packet loss is usually a result of congestion on an interface. Packet loss can be prevented by implementing one of the following approaches: increased link speed. Implement QoS congestion avoidance and congestion management mechanism. Implement traffic policing to drop low priority packets and allow high priority traffic through. Implementing traffic shaping to delay packets instead of dropping them since the traffic may burst and exceed the capacity of the interface buffer. Traffic shape is not recommended for real-time traffic because it relies on queuing that can cause jitter. Note, standard traffic shaping is unable to handle data bursts that occur on a microsecond time interval, that is, microbursts. Microsecond or low burst shaping is required for cases where microbursts need to be smoothed out by a shaper. QoS models. There are three different QoS implementation models. Best effort, QoS is not enabled for this model. It is used for traffic that does not require any special treatment. Integrated services, inserve, applications signal the network to make a bandwidth reservation and, indi and to indicate that they require special QoS treatment. Differentiated services, diffserved. The network identifies classes that require special QoS treatment. Key topic. The inserve model was created for real-time applications such as voice and video that require bandwidth, delay and packet loss guarantees to ensure both predictable and guaranteed service deliveries, service levels. In this model, applications signal their requirements to the network to reserve the end-to-end -end resources such as bandwidth they require to provide an acceptable user experience. Inserve uses resource reservation protocol or SVP to reserve resources throughout a network. 
for a specific application and to provide call and mission control CAC to guarantee that no other IP traffic can be can use a reserve bandwidth. The bandwidth reservation by an application that is not being used is wasted. To be able to provide end-to-end -end QoS, all nodes including the endpoint running the application needs to support, build and maintain RSVP path state for every single flow. This is the biggest drawback of the inserf of inserf because it means it can cannot scale well on large networks because that might have thousands or millions of flows due to the large number of S or SVP flows that would need to be maintained. So there's basically an illustration figure four fourteen one shows the RSVP host issue bandwidth reservations. Okay, so figure 14.1, each of the hosts on the left side senders are attempting to establish a one-to-one -one bandwidth reservation to each of the hosts on the right side receivers. The senders start by receiving RSVP path messages to the receivers along the same path used by regular data packets. RSVP path messages carry the receiver source address, the destination address and the bandwidth they wish to reserve. This information is stored in the RSVP path state uh, of each node. Once the RSVP path state, once the RSVP path message reaches the receivers, each receiver sends an RSVP reservation request, or ESV res, message to the, in the reverse path of the data flow towards receivers hop by hop. At each hop, the IP destination address of the receive uh, resv message is the IP address of the previous node, hop node, obtained by the RSVP path state for each node. As RSVP resv messages cross each hop, they reserve bandwidth on each of the links for the traffic flowing from the receiver, receiver host to the sender host. If the bandwidth reservations are required from the host on the right side to the host on the left, the hosts on the right side need to follow the same procedure by sending an RSVP path message that, which doubles the RSVP state on each networking device in the data path. This demonstrates how RSVP state can increase quickly as more hosts reserve bandwidth. Apart from the scalability issues, long distance between hosts could also trigger long bandwidth reservation delays. So key topic here, DiffServe. This was designed to address the limitations of the best effort and in-serve models. With this model, there is no need for a signaling pro protocol and there is no RSVP flow state to maintain on every single node, which makes it highly scalable. QoS characteristics such as bandwidth and delay are managed on a hop-by-hop -hop basis with QoS policies that are defined independently at each device in the network. DiffServe is not considered an end-to-end -end QoS solution because end-to-end -end QoS guarantees cannot be enforced. DiffServe divides IP traffic into classes and it marks it based on business requirements so that each of the cases can be assigned a different level of service. As IP traffic traverses the network, each of the network devices identifies the packet classes by its marking and services the packet according to the class. Many levels of service can be chosen with DivServe. For example, IP 
phone voice traffic is very sensitive to latency and jitter so should always be given prefer preferential treatment over all other application traffic email on the other hand can withstand a great deal of delay and could be given best effort service on non-business non-critical scavenger traffic such as youtube from youtube can be either heavily rate limited or blocked entirely the DiffServe model is the most popular and most widely deployed QoS model and is covered in detail in this chapter. Classification and marking. Before any QoS mechanism can be applied, IP traffic must first be identified and categorized into different classes based on business requirements. Network devices use classification to identify IP traffic as belonging to a specific class. After the IP traffic is classified, marking can be used to mark or color individual packets so that other network devices can apply QoS mechanisms to those packets as they traverse the network. This section introduces the concept of classification and marking. Explains the different marking options that are available for layer 2 frames and layer 3 packets and explains where classification and marking tools should be used in a network. Key topic, classification. Packet classification in a QoS mechanism responsible for distinguishing between different traffic streams. It uses traffic descriptors to categorize an IP packet within a specific class. Packet classification should take place at the network edge as close to the source of the traffic as possible. Once an IP packet is classified, packets can then be marked, remarked, queued, policed, shaped, or any com combination of these and other actions. Key topic. The following traffic descriptors are usually are typically used for classification. Internal, QoS groups locally significant to a router. Layer 1, physical interface, sub-interface or port. Layer 2, MAC, address and the 802.1Q, P, class of service, COS, cost bit. Layer 2.5, MPLS, experimental, EXP bits. Layer 3, differentiated service, co-points, DSCP, IP presidents, IPP, uh, and source destination IP address, layer 4 TCP or UDP ports, layer 7 next generation network based application recognition, NBAR2. For enterprise networks, the most commonly used traffic descriptors used for classification include the layer 2, layer 3, layer 4, and layer 7 traffic descriptors listed here, and the following section explores the layer 7 traffic descriptor, MBAR2. Layer 7 classification, key topic. MBAR2 is a deep packet inspection engine that can classify and identify a wide variety of protocols and applications using layer 3 to layer 7 data, including difficult to classify applications that dynamically assign transmission control TCP or UDP port numbers. MBAR2 can recognize more than a thousand applications and monthly protocol packs are provided for recognition of new and emerging applications without requiring an iOS upgrade or router reload. 
Ember 2 has two modes of operations. Protocol Discovery. Protocol Discovery enables Ember to discover and get real-time statistics on applications currently running on the network. These statistics from the Protocol Discovery mode can be used to define QoS classes and policies using MQC configuration. Modular QoS CLI MQC using MQC network traffic matching a specific network protocol such as Cisco WebEx can be placed into one traffic cast while traffic that matches a different network protocol such as YouTube can be placed into another traffic class. After traffic has been classified in this way, different QoS policies can be applied to different traffic, different classes of traffic. Marking. Packet marking is a QoS mechanism that colors a packet by changing a field within the packet or frame header with a traffic descriptor so that it is distinguished from other packets during the application of other QoS mechanisms such as remarking, policing, queuing or congestion avoidance. Key topic. The following traffic descriptors are used for marking traffic. Internal QoS groups, layer 2802.1q slash p class of service cost bits, layer 2.5 mpls experimental bits exp bits, uh, layer 3 differentiated services code points DSCP and IP precedence IPP. Note QoS groups are used to mark packets as they are received and processed internally within the router and are automatically removed when packets egress the router. They are used only in special cases in which traffic descriptors marked or received traffic descriptors marked or received on an ingress interface would not be visible for packet classification on egress interfaces due to encapsulation or de-encapsulation. For enterprise networks, the most commonly used traffic descriptors for marking traffic, including the layer two and layer three traffic descriptors mentioned in the previous list, both of them are described in the following sections. Layer 2 marking key topic. The 802.1q standard is an IEEE specification for implementing VLANs and layer 2 switch networks. The 802.1q specification defines two two-byte fields, tag protocol identifier TPID and tag control information TCI, which are inserted within an Ethernet frame following the source address field as illustrated in figure 14.2. So you got your uh, you got your frame, you got your preamble, you got your SSID, you got your destination MAC, source MAC, and then you have your 802.1 header shim, say the TPID, which is two bytes, the TCI, which is two bytes, and then you got the PT, and then you have the data, and then you have the frame chip sequence. The TPID value is a 16-byte field assigned the value of 0x8100 that identifies it as an 802.1q tag frame. Key topic. The TCI field is a 16-byte field composed of the following three fields. Priority code point PCP field, three bytes, three bits, uh, drop 
in an eligible indicator DEI field 1 bit, VLAN identifier, uh, VLAN ID field 12 bits. Priority code point PCP. The specification of the 3 bit PCP field are defined by IEEE 802.1P specification. This field is used to mark packets as belonging to a specific COS. The COS marking allows a layer 2 Ethernet frame to be marked with 8 different levels of priority groups 0 through 8, sorry, 0 to 7, where 0 is the lowest priority and 7 is the highest. Table 14.2 includes the 8 IEEE 802.1p specification standard definition of each COS. You've got the Table 14.2 IEEE 802.1p COS definitions. PCB value priority 0, lowest. Acronym BK, background, is the traffic type. 1, default. BE, traffic type, is uh, best effort. 2, EE excellent effort traffic type 3 CA critical applications 4 VI video with less than 100 milliseconds latency and jitter 5 VO voice with less than 10 milliseconds latency and jitter 6 IC internetwork control 7 which is the highest NC network control one drawback of using COS markings is that the frame loses COS markings when traversing a non-802.1Q link or a layer 3 network. For this reason, packets should be marked with other higher layer markings whenever possible so the marking values can be preserved end to end. This is typically accomplished by mapping a COS marking to another marking, for example the COS priority levels correspond directly to IPv4's IP, IP precedence, type of service, TOS values, so they can be mapped directly to each other. Drop eligible indicator DEI. The DEI field is a one bit field that can be used independently or in conjunction with PCP to indicate frames that are eligible to be dropped during times of congestion. The default value of the field is zero and can be and it can indicate and it indicates that this frame is not drop eligible so it could be set to one to indicate that the frame is drop eligible vlan identifier vlan id the vlan id field is a 12-bit field that defines the vlan used by 802.1q since this field is 12 bits it restricts the number of vlans supported by 802.1q to 4096 which may not be sufficient for large enterprise or service provider networks layer 3 marking as a packet travels from a source to its destination, it might traverse non-802.1q trunked or non-Ethernet links that do not support the COS field. Using markings at layer 3 provides a more persistent marker that is preserved end-to-end. -end. Figure 14.3 illustrates the TOS diffsert field within an IP4 header. So basically you have your IP4 header and uh, rise into different classes. So your IP4 header, the TOS field is an 8-bit field where only the first three bits of the TOS field referred to as the IP precedence, um, 
IPP are used for marking and the rest of the bits are unused. IPP values which range from 0 through 7 allow traffic to be partitioned in up to 6 usable classes of service. IPP 6 and 7 are reserved for internal network use. It's a key topic. It's another key topic. Newer standards have redefined the IPv4 TOS and the IPv6 class traffic class fields as an 8-bit differentiated services diffserve field. The diffserve field uses the same 8 bits that were previously used for the IPv4 TOS and the IPv6 traffic class fields and this allows it to be backward compatible with IP presence. The, the diffserve field is comprised of a 6-bit differentiated service code point DSCP field that allows for classification of up to 64 values 0 to 63 and a 2-bit explicit congestion notification. Uh, ECN field. So DSCP per hop behavior is key topic. Packets are classified and marked to receive particular per hop forwarding behavior that is expedited, delayed or dropped on network nodes along their path to the destination. The DIFSERV field is used to mark packets according to their classification into DIFSERV behavior aggregates BAs. A diffserve BA is a collection of packets within the same diffserve value crossing uh, a link in a particular direction per hop behavior PHP is extremely observable forwarding behavior forwarding treatment applied at a diffserve compliant node to a collection of packets with the same diffserve value crossing a link to a particular direction diffserve BA. In other words, PHP is expediting, delaying, or dropping a collection of packets by one or multiple QoS mechanisms on a per hop basis based on the DSCP value. A DIFSERV BA could be, could be multiple applications, for example, SSH, Telnet, and SM SNMP, all aggregated together are marked with the same DSCP value. This way, the core of the network performs only a single PHP based on the diffserve BAs, while the network edge performs classification, marking, policing and shaping operations. This makes the diffserve QoS model very scalable. Four PHPs have been defined and characterized for general use. Class selector CSPHP, the first three bits of the DS DSCP field are used as CS bits. The CS bits make DSP backward compatible with the IP precedence because IP precedence uses the same three bits to determine class. Default forwarding DFBHP, used for best effort service. Assured forwarding AFBHP, used for guaranteed bandwidth service. Expedited forwarding AFBHP, used for low delay service. Class selector CSPHP. RFC 2474 made the TOS field obsolete by introducing the DIFSERV field, and the class selector CSPHP was defined to provide backwards compatibility for DSCP with IP precedence. Figure 14.4 illustrates CSPHP. So basically, you have the DSP field, um, and you got seven. 0 through 7 coming from right to left, 0 and 1 are blocked off and we've got uh, 2, 3 and 4 
um, 000 class selector and then you have um, CS and then 567 they're the class selector bits IP precedence and, and that's the 2 to 7 is a DSCP field packets with higher IP precedence should be forwarded in less time than packets with lower IP precedence the last three bits of the DSCP bits 2 to 4 when set to 0 identify a class selector BHB but the class selector bits 5 to 7 are the ones where IP precedence are set so bits 2 to 4 are ignored in non-diffserve compliant devices performing classification based on IP precedence so the eight CS classes ranging from CS0 to CS7 that correspond directly to the eight IP precedence values. Default forwarding, DF, PHP. Default forwarding, DF, and class selector 0, CS0, provide best effort behavior and use the DS value six zeros. Figure 14.5 illustrates the DF, PHP. So basically going from 2 to 7, uh, default forwarding, DF. Default best effort forwarding is also applied to packets that cannot be classified by QoS, QoS mechanisms such as queuing, shaping or policing. This usually happens when a QoS policy on the node is incomplete or when DSCP values are outside the ones that have been defined for the CS, AF and EF PHBs. Assured forwarding AF PHB. The AF PHB guarantees a certain amount of bandwidth to an AF class and allows access to extra bandwidth if available. Packs requiring AF PHB should be marked with a DSCP value of AAA DD0 where the AAA is a binary value of the AF class bits 5 to 7 and DD bits 2 to 4 is the drop probability where the bit 2 is unused and always set to 0. Figure 14.6 illustrates the AF PHB. There are four standard defined AF classes, AF1, AF2, AF3 and AF4. The AF class number does not reset precedence, for example AF4 does not get preferential treatment over AF1. Each class should be treated independently and placed into different queues. Table 14.3 illustrates how each AF class is assigned in IP precedence under AF class value bin uh, and has three drop probabilities low medium and high the af name afxy is, is composed of the af ip presence value in decimal x and the drop probability value in decimal y for example af41 is a combination of the ip presence of four and a drop probability of one to quickly convert the af names into dsp values dscp value in decimal use the formula 8x plus 2y for example the dscp value of af41 is 8 times 4 plus 2 times 1 which equals 34 and then you basically have your uh, table for 14 three AFPHPs with decimal and binary equivalents and it just runs through them all there. An AF implementation must detect 
It's actually a note, the NRC 2597 drop probability is, re is referred to as drop precedence. An AF um, implementation must detect and respond to long-term congestion within each class by dropping packets using a congestion avoidance algorithm such as weighted random early detection. W red. W red uses the AF drop probability values within each class where one is the lowest possible value and three is the highest possible value to determine which packet should be dropped first during periods of congestion. It should also be able to handle short term congestion resulting from bursts if each class is placed in a separate queue using a queuing algorithm such as class-based weighted fair queuing CBWFQ. The AF specification does not define the use of any particular algorithm to use for queuing and congestion avoidance, but it does specify the requirement and properties for such algorithms. Expedited forward EFPHB. The EFPHB can be used to build a low loss, low latency, low jitter, assured bandwidth end-to-end -end service. The EFPHB guarantees bandwidth by ensuring a minimum departure rate and provides the lowest possible delay to, to delay sensor applications by implementing low latency queuing. It also prevents starvation of other applications or classes that are not using the EFPHB by policing EF traffic when congestion occurs. Packets requiring EF should be marked with a DSCP binary value of 1011106 in decimal, bits 5 to 7101 of the EF DSCP value mapped directly to the ICP the IP precedence 5 for backward compatibility with non-diff-serve compliant devices. IP precedence 5 is the highest user definable IP precedence value which is used for real-time delay sensitive traffic such as VoIP. Table 14.4 includes all the DSCP PHBs, DFCS, AF and EF and their decimal and binary binary equivalents. This table can also be used to see which IP precedence value corresponds to each PHB. Table 14.4 DSCP PHBs with decimal and binary equivalents and IPP. And it goes through everything there in DSP class, DSP value bin, the decimal value, drop probability, equivalent IP um, value. Okay, scavenger class. A scavenger class is intended to provide less than best effort services. Applications assigned to the scavenger class have little or no contribution to the business objectives of an organization and are typically entertainment related applications. These include peer-to-peer -peer applications such as Torrent, gaming applications such as Minecraft, Fortnite and entertainment video applications for example YouTube, 
uh, Vimeo and Netflix. These type of applications are usually heavily rate limited or blocked entirely. Something very peculiar about the scavenger class is that it's intended to be lower in priority than a best effort class. Best effort class uses a DFPHP with a DSP value of all zeros, CS0. Since there is no negative DSP value, it was decided to use CS1 marking as a scavenger traffic. Um, this is defined in RFC 4594. Key topic, trust boundary. To provide an end-to-end -end and scalable QoS experience, packets should be marked by an endpoint or as close to the endpoint as possible. When an endpoint marks a frame or a packet with a COS or DSCP value, the switch port is attached to can be configured to accept or reject the COS or DSCP value. If the switch accepts the value, it means it trusts the endpoint and does not need to do any packet reclassification when remarking and remarking for the received endpoints packet. If the switch does not trust the endpoint, it rejects the marking and reclassifies and remarks the received packet with the appropriate cost or DSCP value. For example, consider a campus network with IP telephony and host endpoints. The IP phones of uh, by default mark voice traffic with a cost value of 5 and a DSCP value of 46 EF while incoming traffic from an endpoint such as a PC attached to an IP phone switch port is remarked with a cost value of 0 and a DSCP value of 0 even if the endpoint is sending tag frames with a specific COS and DSCP value the default behavior for Cisco IP phones is to not trust the endpoint and zero out the COS and DSCP value before sending the frames to the switch. When the IP phone sends voice and data traffic to the switch, the switch can classify voice traffic as a higher priority than the data traffic thanks to the high priority COS and DSCP markings for voice traffic. For scalability, trust boundary classification should be done as close to the endpoint as possible. Figure 14.7 illustrates trust boundaries at different points in a campus network where 1 and 2 are optional and 3 is acceptable only when the access switch is not capable of performing classification. So basically you have your trust boundaries in figure 14.7, you have your distribution layer like the core switches, you got your access layer fully meshed with your core switches and then you have on the first switch you have a phone hanging off um, and a PC hanging off that phone, that's one and the second switch you have a PC hanging off, that's that access switch and then on the third one you've got a PC hanging off the other access switch but number three is on the core switch. A practical example, wireless QoS. A wireless network can be configured to leverage the QoS mechanisms described in this chapter. For example, a wireless LAN controller WLC sits at the boundary between wireless and wired networks, so it becomes a natural location for QoS trust boundary. Traffic entering and exiting the uh, WLC can be classified and marked 
so that it, it can be handled appropriately as it is transmitted over the air and onto the wired network. Wireless QoS can be uniquely defined on each wireless LAN, WLAN, using the four traffic categories listed in table 14.5. Notice that the category names are human readable words that translate into specific 802.1p and DSCP values. So here we have QoS category, platinum, traffic type voice, 802.1p tag 5, DSCP value 46 or EF. And then you have QoS category gold, traffic type video, 802.1p tag is 4, and a DSCP value is 34 or EF 41. And QoS category silver, best effort, default, that's the traffic type. And then we have 802.1p tag 0, DSCP value of 0, and then bronze in the QoS category, traffic type background. 802.1p tag 1 and DSP value 10 AF11. When you create a new VLAN, its QoS policy defaults to silver or best effort handling. In figure 14a, a WLAN named voice has been created to carry voice traffic, so its QoS policy has been set to platinum. Wireless voice traffic will then be classified for low latency and low jitter and marked with an 802.1p COS value of 5 and a DSP value of 46 EF. And then you have figure 14.8 setting the QoS policy for a wireless LAN. So basically in the wireless LAN controller we have it and I'm just going to open it up. And so basically you can see in under WLANs in the main heading you've got QoS and you can see the quality of service you can pick platinum, gold, silver, bronze. Okay, policing and shaping, key topic. Traffic policers and shapers are traffic conditioning QoS mechanisms used to classify traffic and to enforce other QoS mechanisms such as rate limiting. They classify traffic in an identical manner but differ in their implementation. Policers drop or remark incoming or outgoing traffic that goes beyond a desired traffic rate, so incoming or outgoing. Shapers buffer and delay egress traffic rates that momentarily peak above the desired rate until the egress traffic rate drops down below the defined traffic rate. If the egress traffic rate is below the desired rate, the traffic is sent immediately. Figure 49 illustrates the difference between traffic policing and shaping. Policers drop or remark access traffic while shapers buffer and delay excess traffic. So basically you see the, the policing versus shaping. So you've got a couple of graphs here. Um, so you have um, policing versus shaping. Policing just cuts off the graph above a level. Shaper just flattens the, flattens the graph um, at that level. Okay, placing policers and shapers in the network. Policers for incoming traffic are most optimally deployed at the edge of the network to keep traffic from wasting valuable bandwidth in the core of the network. P 
leashes for outbound traffic are most optimally deployed at the edge of the network or core, fa or core facing interfaces on network edge devices. The downside of policing is that it causes TCP retransmissions when it drops traffic. Shapers are used for egress traffic and typically deployed by enterprise networks or service providers SP facing interfaces. Shaping is useful in the case where SPs are policing incoming traffic or where SPs are not policing traffic but do have a maximum trans traffic rate SLA which if violated could incur monetary penalties. Shaping buffers and delay traffic rather than dropping it um, and this causes fewer TCP retransmissions compared to policing. Markdown. When a desired traffic rate is exceeded, a policer can take one of the following actions. Drop the traffic, mark down the excess traffic with a lower priority. Marking down excess traffic involves remarking the packets with a lower priority class value. For example, excess traffic marked with uh, AF1 X1 should be marked down to AFX2 or AFX3 if using two rate policing. After marking down the traffic, congestion avoidance mechanisms such as DSCP based weighted random early detection WRED should be configured throughout the network to drop AFX3 more aggressively than AFX2 and drop AFX2 more aggressively than AFX, AFX1. Token bucket algorithms. Key topic. Cisco IOS policers and shapers are based on token bucket algorithms. The following list includes definitions that are used to explain how token bucket algorithms operate. Committed information rate, CIOR. The policed traffic rate in bits per second BPS defined in the traffic contract. Committed time interval, TC. The time interval in milliseconds over which the committed burst BC is sent. TC can be calculated with the formula TC equals brackets BC times bits divided by CRR times BPS close brackets multiplied by a thousand. Committed burst size BC the maximum size of the CIR token bucket measured in bytes with the maximum amount of traffic that can be sent within a TC. BC can be calculated with the formula BC equals CIOR times bracket TC divided by a thousand close bracket. Token. A single token represents one byte or eight bits. Token bucket. A bucket that accumulates tokens until a maximum predefined number of tokens is reached such as the BC when using a single token bucket. These tokens are added into the bucket at a fixed rate, the CIOR. Each packet is checked for conformance to the defined rate and takes tokens from the bucket equal to the packet size. For example, if the packet size is 1500 bytes, it takes 12,000 bits. So that's uh, 1500 times 8 from the bucket. If there are not enough tokens in the bucket to send the packet, the traffic conditioning mechanism can take one of the following actions. Buffer the packet while waiting for enough tokens to accumulate in the token bucket traffic shaping, drop the packet traffic policing, or mark down the packet traffic policing. It is recommended for the BC value to be larger than or equal to the size of the largest possible IP packet in the traffic stream, otherwise there will never be enough tokens in the bucket for larger packets. 
and they will always exceed the defined rate. If the bucket fills up to the maximum capacity, newly added tokens are discarded. Discarded tokens are not available for use in future packets. Token bucket alterns may use one or multiple token buckets. For example, token bucket arguments, uh, algorithms, the measured traffic rate can conform or exceed the defined traffic rate. The measured traffic rate is conforming if there's enough tokens in the token bucket to transmit the traffic. The measured traffic rate is exceeding if there is not enough tokens in the token bucket to transmit the traffic. So you got the figure 1410, which illustrates the concept of a single token bucket item. So basically you have your bucket, you have your token arrival rate, CIR, you've got your tokens going into your bucket, and your BC is basically the, the volume of the bucket, and then got your excess tokens are discarded. It can't be used again. And that's known as a single token bucket algorithm. To understand how the single token bucket algorithm operates in more detail, assume that a one gig interface is configured with a pleaser defined with a CIR of 120 megabits per second and a BC of 12 meg. The TC value cannot be explicitly defined in iOS, but it can be calculated as the following, as follows. TC equals brackets BC times bits divided by CIR times BPS um, close brackets times 100 TC equals 12 meg divided by 120 megabits per second close brackets times 1000 TC equals uh, 12 million bits divided by 120 million BPS close brackets divided by sorry multiplied by 1000 which equals 100 milliseconds once the TC value is known, the number of TCs within a second can be calculated as follows. TCS per second equals 1000 divided by TC. TCS per second equals 1000 milliseconds divided by 100 milliseconds equals 10 TCS. If a continuous stream of 1500 byte 12,000 bit packets is processed by the token algorithm, only a BC of 12 meg can be taken by the packets within each TC 100 milliseconds. The number of packets that conform to the traffic rate are allowed to be transmitted can be calculated as follows. Number of packets that conform to each TC equals to BC divided by packet size in bits rounded down. Number of packets that conform with each TC equals 12 million bits divided by 12,000 bits equals 1,000 packets. In additional packets, any additional packets beyond 1,000 will either be dropped or marked down. To figure out how many packets will be sent in one second, for example, the formula can be used. Packets per second number of packets that conform with each TC times the TCS per second. Packets per second is 1,000 1, packets times 10 intervals, which equals 10,000 packets. To calculate the CIR for 10,000, the following formula could be used. CIR equals packets per second times packet size in bits. CIR, 10,000 packets per second times 12,000 bits equals 12 million BPS equals 120 megabits per second. To calculate the time interval, it would take for 1,000 packets to be sent um, at interface line rate. The following formula could be used. 
time to minute interval at line rate equals BC times bits divided by interface speed uh, times BPS at times 100. Time interval at line rate is 12 meg divided by 1 gig times 1000. Time interval at line rate is 12 million bits divided by 100,000 million, uh, 1000 million bits times 100 is 12 milliseconds. And essentially you have uh, figure 1411 uh, token bucket operation illustrates how the BC 1000 packets at 1500 bytes or 12 meg is sent every TC interval after the BC is sent when there is an interpacket delay of 113 milliseconds 125 milliseconds minus 12 within the TC there is no data transmitted the recommended values for TC range from the 8 milliseconds to 100 the recommended values for TC range from 8 milliseconds to 125 milliseconds shorter TCS such as 8 milliseconds to 10 milliseconds are necessary to reduce interpacket delay for real time traffic such as voice TCS longer 125 milliseconds are not recommended for most networks because the interpacket delay becomes too large types of policers there are different policing algorithms including the following single rate two color marker policer single rate three color marker policer SRTCM two rate three color marker policer TRTCM single rate two color marker policers the first policer implemented use a single rate two color model based on a single token bucket algorithm for this type of policer traffic can be either conforming to or exceeding the CIR marking down or dropping actions can be performed for each of the two states figure 1412 illustrates different actions that the single rate two color policer can take the section above the dotted line on the left hand side of the figure represents traffic that can that exceeded the CIR was marked down the section above the dotted line on the right side of the figure represents traffic that exceeded the, C, the CIR and was dropped. So you can see basically it um, any of the peaks across a line uh, are marked down. You still see the peaks but they're marked down in priority and then in the other one they just cut off the peaks essentially. So single right three color markers please S or TCM. Single right three color police algorithms are based on RFC 2697. This type of policer uses two bulk token bucket buckets and the traffic can be classified as either conforming to, exceeding or violating the CIR. Marking down or dropping actions are performed in each of the three states of traffic. The first token bucket operates very similarly to the single rate two color system. The difference is that there are any if there are any tokens left over the bucket after each time period due to low or no activity instead of discarding the excess tokens overflow the algorithm places them in a second bucket to use later for temporary bursts that might exceed the CIR tokens placed in the second bucket are referred to as the excess burst BE and BE is the maximum number of bits that can exceed the BC burst size so it keeps them in reserve with these two bucket two token bucket mechanisms traffic can be classified into three colors as follows three colors are states as follows 
Conform traffic under BC is classified as conforming in green. Conforming traffic is usually transmitted and can be optionally remarked. Exceed traffic over BC but under BE is classified as exceeding and yellow. Exceeding traffic can be dropped or remarked down and transmitted. Violate. Traffic can be BE is classified over BE. Traffic over B is classified as violating and red. This type of traffic is usually dropped but can be optionally marked down and transmitted. Figure 1413 illustrates different actions that a single rate three color policers can take. The following section, sorry, the section below the straight dotted line on the left hand side of the figure represents the traffic that conformed to CIR. Section right above the dotted line represents the exceeding traffic that was marked down and the top section represents the violating traffic that was also marked down. The exceeding and violating traffic rates vary because they rely on random tokens spilling over from the BC bucket into the BE. The section right above the straight dotted line on the right side of the figure represents traffic that exceeded the CIR and was marked down and the top section represents traffic that violated the CIR and was dropped. The single rate three color marker policer uses the following parameters to measure the traffic stream. Committed information rate, CIR, the police rate. Committed burst size, BC, the maximum size of the CIR token bucket measured in bytes. Referred to as the committed burst size CBS in RC 2697. Excess burst, burst size, BE. The maximum size of the excess token bucket measured in bytes referred to as the excess burst size EBS in RFC 2697. BC bucket token count TC, the number of tokens in the BC bucket, not to be confused with the committed time interval TC. And the BE bucket token count TE, the number of tokens in the BE bucket. Incoming packet length B, the packet length of the incoming packets, packet in bits. So we got figure 1414 illustrates the logical flow of the single rate three color marker policer two token bucket algorithm. The single rate three color policer's two bucket algorithm causes fewer retransmission, TCP retransmissions, and is more efficient for bandwidth utilization. And as it is the perfect policer to use with AF classes, AF1, F, X2 and AFX3 using a three color policer makes sense only if the action taken from each color differ. If the action for two or more colors is the same, for example, conform to, for example, conform and exceed both transmitted without remarking, the single rate two color policer is recommended to keep things simpler. Say a 1440 single rate three color marker policer token bucket algorithm. So it just essentially goes through everything that you said there with your second bucket, your excess bucket. Um, two rate three color marker policers. The two rate three color marker policer is based on RC 2698 and is similar to the single rate three color policer. The difference is that the single rate three color policers rely on excess tokens for the BC bucket, which is introduced a certain level of variability and unpredictability, unpredictability to traffic flows. The two rate three color 
Marcus Polisius addressed this issue by using two distinct rates, the CIR and the peak information rate, the PIR. That allows for different actions for the traffic exceeding the different burst values. For example, violating traffic can be dropped at a defined rate and that is something that is not possible with the single rate three color, um, color policer. Figure 1415 illustrates how violating traffic that exceeds the PIR, PIR can either be marked down on the left side of the figure or dropped on the right hand side of the figure. Compare figure 1415 to 1414 to see the difference between the two rate three color policer and the single rate three color policer. The two rate three color policer uses the following parameters to measure the traffic streams. CIR, the police rate. PIR, the maximum rate of traffic allowed. PIR should be equal to or greater than the CIR. Committed burst size, BC, the maximum size of the second token bucket measured in bytes, referred to as the committed burst size, CBS in RFC 2698. Peak burst size, BE, the maximum size of PIOR token bucket measured in bytes, referred to as the peak burst size, PBS in RFC 2698, should be equal to or greater than the BC. BC bucket token count, uh, TC, the number of tokens in a BC bucket, not to be confused with the committed time interval TC. BP, um, bucket token rate, TP, the number of tokens in the BP bucket, incoming packet length B, the packet length of the incoming packet in bits. The two rate three color pleaser also uses two token buckets, but the logic varies from that of the single rate two color pleaser Instead of transferring unused buckets from the BC bucket to the BE bucket, the policer has two separate buckets that are filled with two separate token rates. The BE bucket is filled with the PIR tokens and the BC bucket is filled with the CIR tokens. In this model, the BE represents the peak limit of traffic that can be sent during a sub-second interval. The logic varies further in that the initial check is to see whether the traffic is within the PIR. Only then is the traffic compared against the CIR. In other words, a violate condition is checked first, then an exceed condition, and finally a conform condition, which is the reverse of the logic in the single rate three color placer. Figure 1416 illustrates token bucket algorithm for two rate three color marker policer. Compare it to the token bucket algorithm of the single rate three color policer marker policer in figure 1414 to see the differences between the two. Congestion management and avoidance. This section explores the queuing algorithms used for congestion management as well as the packet dropping techniques that can be used for congestion avoidance. These tools provide a way of managing excess traffic during periods of congestion. Okay, so congestion management first of all. Congestion management involves a combination of queuing and schedule. scheduling. Queuing is also known as buffering. As a temporary storage of excess packets, queuing is activated when an output 
interface is experiencing congestion and deactivated when congestion clears. Congestion is detected by the queuing algorithm when a layer one hardware queue presents on a physical interface known as the transmit ring, TX ring or TXQ, is full. When the TX ring is not full anymore, this indicates that there is no congestion on the interface and queuing is deactivated. Congestion can occur for one of these two reasons. The input interface is faster than the output interface. The output interface is receiving packets from multiple input interfaces. When congestion is taking place, the queues fill up and packets can be reordered by some of the queuing algorithms so that the higher priority packets exit the output interface sooner than the lower priority ones. At this point, a scheduling algorithm decides which packet to transmit next. Scheduling is always active, regardless of whether the interface is experiencing congestion. There are many queuing algorithms available, but most of them are not adequate for modern rich media networks carrying voice and high definition video traffic because they were designed before these traffic types came to be. The legacy queuing algorithms that predate the MQC architecture include the following. Key topic, first in first out, FIFO. FIFO involves a single queue where a first packet to be placed on the output interface queue is the first packet that leaves the out of interface. First come, first served. In FIFO, queuing all traffic belongs to the same class. Round robin. With the round robin queues are moved, or sorry, queues are serviced in sequence one after the other. Each queue processes one packet only. No queues starve with round robin because every queue gets an opportunity to send one packet every round. No queue has priority over the other, and if packet sizes from all queues are about the same, the interface bandwidth is shared equally across the round robin queues. A limitation of round robin is it does not include a mechanism to prioritize traffic. Weighted round robin, WRR. WRR is developed to provide prioritization capabilities for a round robin. It allows a weight to be assigned to each queue, and based on that weight, each queue effectively receives a portion of the interface bandwidth that is not necessarily equal to the other queue's portions. Then there's custom queuing, CQ. CQ is a Cisco implementation of WRR that involves a set of 16 queues with round robin scheduler and FIFO queuing on each queue. Each queue can be customized with a portion of the link bandwidth for each selected traffic type. If a particular type of traffic is not using the bandwidth reserved for it, other traffic types can use the unused bandwidth. CQ causes long delays and also suffers from all the same problems as FIFO with each of the 16 queues that it uses for traffic classification. Then you got priority queue and PQ. With PQ, a set of four queues, high, medium, low, normal and low, high, medium, normal and low, are served in strict priority order with FIFO queuing each que within each queue. A high priority queue is always service first. The lower priority queues are service only when the higher all higher priority queues are empty. For example, the medium queue is service only when the high priority queue is empty. The normal queue is service only when the high and medium queues are empty. And finally the low queue is service only when all the other queues are empty. At any point in time, if a packet arrives for a higher queue, the packet from the higher queue is processed before any packets in the lower level 
queues. For this reason, if the higher priority queues are continuously being serviced, the lower priority queues are starved. Then you have weighted fair queuing, WFQ. The WFQ algorithm automatically divides the interface bandwidth by the number of flows weighted by ISP presidents. To allocate, allocate bandwidth fairly among all flows, this method provides better service for high priority real-time flows but can't provide a fixed bandwidth guarantee for any particular flow. The current queuing algorithms recommended for rich media networks and supported by MQC combine, combine the best features of the legacy algorithms. These algorithms provide real-time delay sensitive traffic bandwidth and delay guarantees while not starving other types of traffic. The recommended queuing algorithms include the following. Key topic, class-based weighted fair queue, CQWFQ. CBWFQ enables the creation of up to 256 queues, serving up to 256 traffic classes. Each queue is serviced based on the bandwidth assigned to the class. It extends WFQ functionality to provide support for user-defined traffic classes. With CBWFQ, traffic classification is done based on traffic descriptors such as QS markings, protocols, ACLs and input interfaces. After a packet is classified as belonging to a specific class, it is possible to assign bandwidth, weight, queue limit and maximum packet limit to it. The bandwidth assigned to a class is the minimum bandwidth delivered to the class during congestion. The queue limit for the class is the maximum number of packets allowed to be buffered in the class queue. After a queue has reached the configured queue limit, excess packets are dropped. CBWFQ by itself does not provide a latency guarantee and is only suitable for non-real-time data traffic. Next one, low latency queuing, LLQ. LLQ is CBWFQ combined with priority queue, PQ, and it was developed to meet the requirements of real-time traffic such as voice. Traffic assigned to the strict priority queue is serviced up to its assigned bandwidth before other CBWFQ queues are serviced. All real-time traffic should be configured to be serviced by the priority queue. Multiple classes of real-time traffic can be defined and separate bandwidth guarantees can be given to each but a single priority queue schedules all the combined traffic. If the traffic class is not using the bandwidth assigned to it, it is shared among the other classes. This algorithm is suitable for combination of real-time and non-real-time traffic. It provides both latency and bandwidth guarantees to high priority real-time traffic. In the event of congestion, real-time traffic that goes beyond the assigned bandwidth guarantee is policed by a congestion aware policer to ensure that non-priority traffic is not starved. So your figure 1417 illustrates the architecture in CBWFQ in combination with LLQ. CBWFQ in combination with LLQ creates queues into which traffic classes are classified. The CBWFQ queues are scheduled with a CBWFQ scheduler that guarantees bandwidth to each class. LLQ creates a high priority queue that is always serviced first. 
During times of congestion, LLQ priority classes are policed to prevent the PQ from starving. The CBWFQ. LLQ priority classes are placed to prevent the PQ from starving the CBWFQ non-priority classes as legacy PQ does. When LL, LLQ is configured, the policing rate must be specified as either a fixed amount of bandwidth or a percentage of the interface bandwidth. LLQ allows two different traffic classes to be assigned to it so that different policing rates can be applied to different types of high priority traffic. For example, voice traffic could be policed during times of congestion to 10 megabits per second, while video could be placed to 100 megabits per second. This would not be possible with only one traffic class and a single policer. Congestion avoidance tools. Congestion avoidance techniques monitor network traffic loads to anticipate and avoid congestion by dropping packets. The default packet dropping mechanism is tail drop. Tail drop treats all traffic equally and does not differentiate between classes of service. With tail drop, when the output queue buffers are full, all packets trying to enter the queue are dropped, regardless of their priority, until congestion clears up and the queue is no longer full. Tail drop should be avoided for TCP traffic because it can cause TCP global synchronization, which results in significant link underutilization. A better approach is to use a mechanism known as random early detection, RED. A RED provides congestion avoidance by randomly dropping packets before the queue buffers are full. Randomly dropping packets instead of dropping them all at once as with tail drop avoids global synchronization of TCP streams. RED monitors the buffer depth and performs early drops on random packets when the minimum defined queue threshold is exceeded. Key topic. The Cisco implementation of RED is known as Weighted RED, WRED. The difference between RED and Weighted RED is that the randomness of packet drops can be manipulated by traffic weights denoted by either IP precedence, IPP, or DSCP packets. DSCP packets with a lower IPP value are dropped more aggressively than a higher IPP values. For example, IPP3 would be dropped more aggressively than IPP5, or DSCP AFX3 would be dropped more aggressively than AFX2, and AFX2 would be dropped more aggressively than AFX1. Weighted red can also be used to set the IP explicit congestion notification ECN bits to indicate that congestion was experienced in transit. ECN is an extension to weighted red that allows for signaling to be sent to ECN enabled endpoints, instructing them to reduce their packet transmission rates.